0: Hello and welcome to Inside the Artist Studio. My name is Sean Davis-Newton, here as per usual with the Cups and Cakes Network. Uh, today we've got uh, a really exciting interview that I've uh, had uh, had kind of in the bank for a while, so I'm excited to finally put this thing out. I had a conversation with Corb Lund, the uh, Alberta-based uh, country superstar. Uh, you've probably heard a song or two of his on the radio over the years and he's got a brand new record out uh i guess 2020 uh, with a deluxe edition out just this past march called agricultural tragic so uh, we talk a whole bunch about that record we talk about how corb's uh, been in the news a little bit for talking about the alberta coal policy right at the end of the interview and along the way we chat about uh, merle haggard we talk about willie nelson we talk about uh, the virtues of a jazz education at our uh, shared alma mater of uh, McEwen University uh, We go lots of places with this one it's, uh, it's a great episode So, as per usual there is some foul language in this one So uh, if that kind of thing isn't up your alley this is your chance to turn this one off And of course you can find other episodes of this podcast as well as other audio, video, and written content over on the Cups and Cakes Network website at cupsandcakespod.com That would be CUPS, the letter N, kickspod.com. Here is Cor Blund.
1: This is Cor Blund. I'm an Albertan songwriter and performer. And uh, I'm hunkered down in my garage studio coming at you from Lethbridge, Alberta. The windy city. Perfect. Well,
0: uh yeah, thanks so much for uh for taking the time to sit down and do this. Uh just to run through the structure of the show real quick. We got a rapid fire section right off the top. and Then now uh, we'll go into a uh, more kind of standard interview stuff, talk about uh Agricultural Tragic, the deluxe edition of which just came out uh pretty much just about a week ago now. It's March 19th, 2021. And then uh and then we'll play a track off that record to kind of wrap things up. So, uh if you're all set, let's dive into the rapid fire. Cool. Excellent. So uh, do you prefer uh, cake or pie?
1: Uh, pie, I guess. Depends on the pie, but yeah. My mom makes a pretty good uh, fresh banana cream pie with real whipped cream that I'm partial to.
0: Oh, okay. I, I always like asking about uh, like baked stuff just because I feel like it's always like a really kind of family Thing like it's always that people like the things that they grew up with their parents making. That's probably true. <laughs> uh, do you prefer tea or coffee? Coffee. Is it uh, caffeine? Are you like a big caffeine guy, or uh, do
1: you just no? Like... Not a, not I'm not a fa- I know some c- f- caffeine fanatics. I'm not really one of those, but I mean I like coffee in the morning as much as the next guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not too choosy about it. My guitar player—he's a—he's a fanatic. He's—he brings, um, you know, hand a hand grinder and sh- shit like that on the road with him. He's—he's he's very into coffee. He's very particular about his coffee. He doesn't like the gas station swill the rest of us drink. <laughs> uh, what's the first
0: car you ever owned?
1: Uh it was a kind of a crappy Datsun pickup. Probably a late late seventies Datsun pickup. Do Datsun
0: still exist? Well, they're that... they're
1: Nissan now. Gotcha. Okay.
0: What uh, what happened to it? What uh,
1: how did it meet its end?
2: Uh I don't
1: know. I can't remember if I sold it or what. I drove it for years. I might have just I might have just driven it into the ground, actually.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, when I was growing up, my brother kind of wrecked a whole bunch of different cars, and so it's always been kind of anticlimactic whenever. Uh, whenever I've owned something, it's always just been like, yeah. And then I drove it and one day it just stopped driving. Yeah. And that was the end.
1: That was the end of it. Yeah. They get to a point where they're not really worth fixing anymore, huh?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Uh, what's the, uh, what's the weirdest job you've ever had? Uh,
1: I could tell you the shittiest jobs I've ever had. The weirdest, (laughs) the weirdest jobs, uh, we could go with shittiest. I'm down for that. Well, shittiest was and insu- I was a house insulator for a while in the summertime on a construction site. That was pretty crappy. Well, the drywall guy finished up with me. He just kind of passed me off like I was a like I was a piece of chattel slave. Like a owner. He kind of passed me off to the to the insu- uh, insulating guy like I was his indentured servant.
0: <laughs> was it just like? I would imagine, I guess, working with insulation um, kind of sucks. Yeah,
1: yep. And I I did a bunch of jobs. I've been a pizza cook, pizza deliveryman, gas jockey, you know, like uh, construction laborer, farm worker, research assistant, stock boy in a grocery store, lawn mower, you know, drywaller, insulator, framer. Yeah, I've done a lot of stuff. Delivery guy furniture mover are there are there things
0: about those jobs that you still look back on and that you like uh th- feel that you're like happy that you did those things
1: yeah i don't have any i don't have any regrets i think all that stuff's good for people for sure yeah i think uh i mean i grew up in a rural setting so for better or for worse working hard and getting stuff done and being self-reliant was kind of a fundamental requirement that was drilled into your head from an early age.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, do you prefer sports or video
1: games? Playing or watching them? Uh, we'll go with either. Uh, probably sports, although I don't really have much time for either. I don't... I had to... I mean, when I was a kid, I played video games. I just, it's just such an absolute waste of time that it's. I just can't... <laughs> I have too many things that I have to get done to do, to do that. Sports, I, I don't know. I... Played football in high school. I uh, rodeoed when I was young, and, and I, uh, uh, I play sh- crappy, a very crappy level of hockey for a Canadian. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I run. That's not really a sport, but um, yeah. What's
0: uh, again? I, I don't really know a whole ton about rodeo, but what's like when you say did rodeo? Like, what does that entail?
1: Well, when you're young, there's only a, one or two options. And it, at that time, the only real option was steer riding, which is like a junior version of bull riding that you do gotcha. that you do till you're do about 14. And then in high school, I steer wrestled, which is where you jump off the galloping horse and wrestle the steer, because, because then um, there, there's more events open. There, there's a number of different rodeo events that are part of the... the sport that you that you can do when you're older but when you're a kid maybe it's different now actually it's different now because they have kids riding little pony bronx and stuff now but when I was a kid steer riding was the only real option my family were uh my family were both my mom and dad were both professional competitors and my grandfather's too and a bunch of my cousins I kind of retired early because I got into rock and roll so what?
0: Did you manage to uh escape those experiences both with football and rodeo without picking up any like
1: crazy injuries? Yeah, I was never really hurt. I had some stitches. That's good. Got banged up. I've have never really had any serious injuries in my life. Thank knock on wood. Yeah. <laughs> uh do you prefer board games or card games? Card games. Yeah, do you have uh what are what are like the go-to uh games um, that you're into? There's a form of poker called Omaha Pot Limit that I like quite a bit. And I play cribbage, and I play uh, a game, a cowboy game called pitch. That's kind of a bit, a kind of a bidding game with trump. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was I was thinking about crib when I
0: came up with that question, just because it's like, oh yeah, that's I guess it's a board game and a card game realistically. But I'm a I'm a big crib guy too.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure it's really really all the board is doing is just you could keep score with a pen if you wanted to. really the board's more right, more, more part yeah. of the tradition than anything. <laughs> I play backgammon pretty well too. Actually, I guess that's a board game. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah, I've never really gotten into backgammon. I know somebody got me a board a while ago, and I just never sat down to learn how to actually play it.
1: Most of it, yeah, see the, most of the games I've, most of the, what I, it's mostly, most of the stuff I play is gambling oriented. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's fun too. It gives you like a reason. My mom, <laughs> right, my to- mom forces me to play Scrabble, but I'm not a big fan of Scrabble.
0: Uh, if you could put together uh, like a fantasy l- lineup, like a fantasy bill of uh, any kind of handful of bands that you would want to see play a show and uh, give yourself a ticket to that. What, uh, what kind of bands did you pick?
1: Um, let's see. Marty Robbins and 1986 era Guns N' Roses. Yeah. And um, and Jennings and... Heart maybe, early heart. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I've never, I never saw. I'd I would have liked to see Frank Sinatra play, so I put him on the bill too.
0: Yeah, did, did you have you actually? I, I guess I mean you've probably seen Heart, I assume, but have you seen any of the other? Uh, I haven't bands seen, on that list? I, I
1: haven't seen Heart actually. And oh, okay. I and I saw Guns N' Roses in 1987, and it was one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. It was really good. Like they got, yeah, yeah. they were They became a ridiculous bloated corpse of themselves. But for a brief <laughs> shining moment, they were, they were, they caught lightning in a bottle on that first record.
0: Yeah. How how old would you have been when you went and saw that show?
1: Oh, teenager. Okay. Was that like
0: one of the first big shows you went to then? Yeah.
1: It was, it was the cult electric tour and Guns N' Roses were opening and it, and me and my buddies were really into metal and we'd never even heard of them. That's how early it was. Like they yeah. w- they didn't even have a record out. They didn't put a record out for another 18 months, but they were on tour with the cult and it was mind blowing. Yeah. It was really, really good. And then it took, it took about th- two, three years before they became really widely popular after that. But yeah, that was one of the best shows. We talked to Axel outside actually. He was just hanging out. <laughs> no one knew who he was, but yeah, it, yeah. that was, um, yeah, it was a really, really good show. That was like some, some, some real, uh, those guys, that guy, the singer especially, really knows how to channel anger into music, <laughs> which is a good thing to do with anger, actually.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, do you have a favorite local bite to eat down in Lethbridge that you really love?
1: Um, well, me and my friends, all say my buddy Scott's place is the best restaurant in town. He's a cook, so he's, yeah, it's my buddy Scott's place, probably. <laughs> <laughs> There's a pretty good there's a pretty good pretty good authentic Vietnamese place too that's called Mama Mama something I can't remember. it's pretty good. And the sushi the sushis here is really good too. There's a big really big Japanese population in southern Alberta because of a World War II internment, which is a drag. but the right but, I mean they're totally part of the community now and have, as such there's, as such there's some really good sushi places.
0: Okay. Yeah, I I know. Uh, there's I, I there's
1: there's sushi places everywhere, but the ones here are really good because it's legit Japanese stuff. I th-
0: I think there's a really cool kind of tradition across Western Canada too of uh, like immigration from Asia and those people settling in kind of smaller centers and there being just these amazing like. Uh, Chinese or Vietnamese places in like these fairly small towns. Even though I like Lethbridge is obviously yeah, p- pretty yeah. I
1: think but. Vietnamese came later, but even as a kid, every small Alberta town had a Chinese and Western cuisine restaurant. Yeah, yeah. And I actually, I actually was really good friends with the son of the of the Tabor one. His name was David Chow. He's a friend of mine. I haven't talked to him for years, but his dad was the classic uh, immigrant from China and and opened up the restaurant, and opened up the store. Yeah, yeah. Work hardworking. Put. And both of his both of his sons, I think, and his daughter went to university and became professionals. So that's kind of the that's kind of the uh, you know the North American dream for immigrant people.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you prefer candy chips or chocolate? Uh, probably chips, I guess. What's uh What's like the top chip flavor? What's uh What's your go to?
1: Probably salt and vinegar.
0: Okay, yeah, the ones that make your mouth hurt. <laughs> um. Yeah. <laughs> uh if you could open for any band or artist who would you choose to open for
1: um probably willie nelson maybe oh yeah i guess that
0: that's still in the cards he's kind of one of the few that's still uh still yeah. around
1: yeah a bunch of my friends i play a lot in texas and i have a ton of musical friends down there and a lot of them have actually met him he's he's quite accessible actually so that's that's not out of reach yeah yeah i
0: opened for merle haggard just
1: before he died actually
0: oh damn that's really cool yeah, it was cool. Uh Is there an album that spurred your love of music?
1: Yep. Uh it's called Marty Robbins Gunfighter Ballads and Trail Songs. That's That's a uh, that's a great cover of that record. <laughs> yeah, the pink one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's my favorite record since I was about 7 years old. My my parents had it. And, um I guess I'm just lucky that that my parents had good taste in music cuz I mean it could have been a lot of things, but but I still count that record as my favorite to this day. It's really good. Yeah,
0: that that was one then that your parents played a lot around the house too.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's really uh, I really like the instrumentation on it. It's it's quite acoustic, and the guitar player on it plays some really crazy jazzy stuff on it. Surprisingly, okay, and, uh, and a lot of those songs that are, that are on that record, some of the traditional numbers are ones that my grandfather's used to sing actually. So it was kind of extra cool because. I heard them from my grandpa's first, actually, and then and then I heard the Marty Robbins versions. Right. Yeah, it's good stuff.
0: I guess too. Yeah, it, it's. Uh, I feel like it's a surprise to a lot of people, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little later. But just uh, lots of great jazz players who play on country records predominantly. Yeah,
1: right. Yeah, it's true. There's a really good uh, crossover in Western Swing. Like that's kind of where country meets jazz. Yeah, yeah. Tex- Texas Swing, country or Western Swing. Bob Wills and all that. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh
0: yeah, too, just because I mean you listen to any of those records that are made in Nashville, um, and just like everybody who plays on those can like really, really play. Like they're crazy, crazy talented musicians.
1: Yeah, they are. Not not all of the session guys in Nashville are jazz guys though. For I, sure. I I would say not that many, actually, but some though, for sure. Most of them are, most of them sound to me like rock shredders to me now, honestly.
0: That makes sense. I mean, too I, like country's gotten rockier too, right?
1: Yeah, I think I think actually I would suspect that deep down a lot of the country radio p- players secretly wish they were playing rock, which is <laughs> kind of weird. They should just play rock. <laughs> but whatever. Uh, very last question on the rapid fire then,
0: uh, are there any kind of up and coming bands, uh, from your neck of the woods or that you're familiar with that you want to kind of, uh, give a shout out to that you, uh, like, uh,
2: yeah,
1: sure. Like, uh, uh there's a kid, there's a guy named Colter wall from Saskatchewan. He doesn't really need my help, but he's, he's great. He's really, he's really blowing up. He's just I think he's in his twenties, but he's a great, great Western songwriter from Saskatchewan from Swift current, Swift current, I think. And, uh, who else is good? Um, um del barber from manitoba is great oh yeah. yeah and and uh not that not that they're brand new or anything but you know could use a plug and um well lindy ortega is great too i she's kind of on a hiatus I, I hope she continues playing because she's a really great singer and a great songwriter she's she's kind of in seclusion in the woods in bc the last year or so but.
0: Yeah, you know, if if, uh, if I could have been in seclusion in B.C. in the woods the past year, I probably would have chosen to do that, too. Uh, it's been yeah. a hell of a year.
1: <laughs> yeah, it has. She she was kind of in cl- seclusion before COVID hit, but... Right. Yeah. She's taking a break.
0: Well, uh, let's kind of pivot over into the more uh, interviewee-type uh, part of things, then. Uh, you grew up in, in Tabor, Alberta, then, right? Um, yeah, outside should, of Tabor. Just uh,
1: just for some context then, uh, where whereabouts is that? It's about uh, half an hour from the States. It's okay. Just, it's a, and it's half an hour east of Lethbridge and two and a half hours southeast of Calgary. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. okay. Just about half an hour from
0: Montana. And so then you grew up like just outside, I assume on acreage ranch type
1: deal? Yeah, uh, we had a farm there. We have our family ranch an hour away in Cardston, which my mom's had in the family since 1899 or something like that. So I spent a lot of time, spent a lot of time there too. Yeah. No kidding. It's, uh, it's, and that's part of, that's kind of near Waterton park. Oh, uh, okay. It's, a really, it's a really pretty part of the, part of the province. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding.
0: Um, so what, uh, like, uh, <laughs> I grew up, I guess in a smaller place in Saskatchewan. And when I say smaller, it's like, uh, it's a town called North Battleford, which is about like 10, 15,000 people. It's not tiny, right? Like it's not that small. Um, What does a guy do for fun, I guess, growing up in Tabor? Because I know, even for me, my options were fairly limited. Yeah,
2: uh,
1: um, I don't know. I I read a lot. I was kind of a nerd, actually. I read a lot. And I, like I said, I rodeoed when I was a kid. And I spent a lot of time on horseback. Yeah. And I... um, Read a lot of books, and I was—I used to be an artist when I was a kid. I used to draw a lot, actually, paint, draw mostly. And then, yeah, at about fifteen, I discovered the guitar, and so I started spending a lot of my time playing music. I, and like I said, I played football in high school for a couple year—I year, guess only one year. Yeah, yeah. So, so some of that, but mostly, mostly a lot of reading, a lot of, a lot of writing, and a lot of uh, guitar playing. How 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 big is Tabor? Like how many? I think it was like six thousand five hundred when I was there. It's probably ten now.
0: Okay, so not yeah, not tiny. Or maybe either.
1: it's maybe it's eight. Yeah, it's small. Probably it's sort of
0: like where you're from. I I, I guess then uh, actually, you know, uh, d- do you still like read quite a bit? Is that is that still something you go to?
1: Yeah, I try to. I sometimes get caught up in music and, and busy st- with other stuff, but yeah, I, I try to. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah, yeah. Um, I always I always have three or four different books on the go. Are
0: are, are there any? I, I guess then. Uh, both with kind of reading a lot as a kid and uh, doing a lot of kind of artsier stuff. Um, does, does that like... Uh, you know, I'm going to rephrase that in a different way. If, if you're spending a lot of time doing things like rodeo and football and kind of spending time like working on a farm and leading that kind of life, um, and then you also have this kind of artistic... Side, how do you decide um, what you want to actually do when you're coming out of high school to uh,
1: like pick pick a lane, basically? Yeah, well, I was pretty serious about music ever since I picked up the guitar at 15 or 16. My dad was kind of a Renaissance cowboy. He was a, a rancher and a veterinarian and a professional rodeo cowboy and an artist as well. So he had a lot of things. He's kind of an amateur archaeologist too. So he had a lot of stuff going on. So I had a lot of influences from him that were... Varied and interesting. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I was pretty serious about music from the start. I, I have I've almost finished degree. I almost finished a degree in art, um, anthropology and history, right? At U of L and U of A, but I don't think I quite got. It, I didn't quite get it finished. But started touring too much. But I, I was, I was doing those things. But i I was also I had a band at the same time, and I was pretty, pretty serious about music from mid teens on. I never really, never really stopped.
0: Yeah. So so when did you actually start like playing gigs then? Nineteen. Okay.
1: I was in a metal band called The Smalls. Yeah, yeah. And we played our first show in oh shit, I can't remember. I was nineteen though, I remember that. <laughs> it was opening for Junior Gone Wild. It's in a classic Edmonton band. You're in Edmonton now? Yeah, yeah. I am. Yeah, you're yeah. in Edmonton? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, did you did you uh I mean with the Smalls?
1: It was actually it was actually at Grandma Q and it was it was the Christmas it was the Christmas – one of our first gigs was at the Christmas Cabaret at the Grant McEwen campus opening for Junior Gone Wild. Okay, yeah. I was going to ask then if you met those guys from the
0: smalls at McEwen. I did, yep.
1: Yeah, I know I well, mentioned – Well, the the singer, Mike, was – I grew up with him. He, he and I learned to play guitar together and grew up together in Tabor. But we met Doug and Terry at Grant McEwen, yep. Did, did you guys kind of like
0: uh, go to McEwen together then or did you kind of uh, – take separate Mike,
1: paths there. Mike and I did. We moved up t- from Tabor specifically t- to Edmonton to go to Grant McEwen. And, I mean, no, we didn't know Doug and Terry until we until we met them at school. Right, right. Terry was taking the... He was a drummer. He he was taking the music program, and Doug was taking the graphic design program. He's a guitar player.
0: Oh, okay. And were you like... Did you go specifically to... Uh, like, did you have an interest in jazz, I guess? Or was it more just kind of like generally... Uh, you wanted to learn to play music better and McEwen was the place to do that in Alberta at the time
1: yeah I hated jazz when I was or, uh, you know, I like it now but I was too I was just a shithead then like i <laughs> they didn't the reason I went to grant McEwen I, they didn't have a black Sabbath school right so <laughs> <laughs> but um it's funny because I mean really when you go to music school maybe there's it may have changed now there's probably, I mean I guess there's those places in LA where you can study rock music if you want to but i don't know i don't really i've never really thought that rock music should be studied. It doesn't seem like a studyable music. It seems like a get drunk and just do it kind of music. But when it comes to, at least when I was that, of that age, you could either, you know, you could take conservatory music in university and play classical music, but I, that wasn't what I was into. Yeah. And ja- jazz was not at all what I was into, but it was more contemporary than classical and it applied more. So, yeah, we went there. And the interesting thing was now I, I think jazz is fantastic. And, and at the time I didn't, really enjoy all the harmonic um, classic all the you know music theory stuff but turns out um, and I you know I'm nowhere near a jazz player but I, I have a much more thorough understanding at least like compared to a jazz guy I don't have a thorough understanding of serious jazz harmony but I have a much much more I suspect I have a much more advanced understanding of, of musical harmony than most of my country songwriting peers. Right. And that's not that's not a judgment. I think it's just a fact because I studied that stuff for a couple of years. And and it turns out that it's really useful in songwriting. So I think I have a you know, there's a few reasons for my quirky sort of style. It's kind of a melting pot of a bunch of stuff. Part of it is spending a decade in, in an indie rock band like the Smalls and doing weird shit. But the other part of it is is having some facility with with um, more advanced harmonic structures. And again, compared to jazz guys, I don't. But compared to country guys, I probably do. Yeah, yeah. I have a, I have a wider palette of chordal choices to make when I write songs than uh, than a lot of my peers that I write with.
0: Yeah, I guess, uh, had, had you uh, when you started listening to music, uh, were you always fairly interested in kind of a wide variety of different sounds? Or was that kind of something that came along as a result of... McEwan,
1: do you think um well when i was that age i was mostly interested in rock and roll right yeah but me and the guys in the smalls we all liked old country we all liked willie and Waylon and Merle and all that stuff at the same time and i like punk rock too and metal so you know it grows as you get you know as you as you mature as a human your tastes widen right yeah and i did i did have there was a few things that i i, I was really drawn as a youth, I Grammy me into Hobim. Like I really like, I really liked um, girl from Empanema and what's that Desafinado? Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, one? yeah. I really dug that stuff actually. And actually, there's a record, there's a Willie Nelson record that kind of, you know, we talked about before about how Western swing kind of bridges jazz and and country. Yeah. There's a, there's a Willie Nelson record called Stardust where he covers a bunch of 1940s style tunes, and they're not really jazz songs, but At that time, pop music had a bigger jazz influence in it. Like, yeah, like a lot of the pop songs before rock and roll, like in the '40s and before, a lot of it was just normal pop music had a a lot of harmonic jazz in it. Compared compared to now, right? It was all like Broadway, right? And and all of of that was
0: like, you know, really like yeah, and show tunes, uh, uh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. and Hammers Rogers and Hammers, yeah, all those all those guys. But it's like uh, and. um, Duke Ellington and all that stuff, but but yeah. Anyway, the Stardust record is is Willie doing all, a bunch of those old '40s pop jazz tunes, and and I really dig that record. And that was kind of an introduction, like a way into jazz for me at the time because I dug Willie. So it was kind of a as a now I you know when you're when you've got a wider taste and you're older and more mature, it's different. But when you're a kid, you just you have to find ways into things to be able to appreciate them i at least i did and stardust stardust was a big record for that
0: do you think there's then like some connective tissue between the kind of punk music that you were playing and country because for some reason it seems like stuff like yeah like punk versus like merle haggard right there's definitely or like waylon jennings right like there's definitely some common ground there in some way Musically or like emotionally, or emotionally I guess, and and musically a little bit too, right? Like none of it's like crazy technical, yeah, harmonic music, right? Especially
1: something like you know, like Cash or, or early Merlager That's it's pretty pretty simplistic. And I mean, you could make the case that they're both kind of working working man kind of stuff, right? Or like yeah, common yeah. music of the common person. Same with ACDC for that matter. I mean, that's as acdc is like modern folk music you know everybody listens to acdc right yeah yeah but but yeah i would say so i I guess in a way and it's it's interesting because a lot of um aging punk guys kind of end up doing you know rockabilly or cash style country stuff sometimes it's good sometimes it's not but they they obviously (laughs) they obviously are drawn to that and so Yeah, yeah, yeah i think i think some of that early raw country has has enough um because people are people, right? Even if you look at it, like, it's funny about jazz because j- classical too, for that matter, it, it becomes institutionalized and scholarly and shit, right? But, like, the jazz guys were selling their horns to shoot heroin, right? Like, they were punk rockers for sure. And they were living on the streets and broke and, you know, pimps. And it was rough, right? And now jazz is, like, highbrow, right? And, and it becomes right. in- institutionalized. But those guys, like, the original jazz guys were down in the gutter, right? Yeah, and yeah. some and some of the classical composers too, for that matter, were like, you know, crazy party animal drunks. So it's weird because, you know, a lot of music at its most visceral early stages is is pretty raw and pretty of the common man, and then it, and then it becomes, you know, highbrow over the decades and centuries.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh let's chat a little bit then about uh, agricultural tragic. Okay. Um, so uh it was uh one of many uh quarantine records that came out. Kind of landed smack dab in kind of early COVID. Yeah. Uh what are the challenges, I guess, of putting something out in a time like that? Like how did that
1: all kind of shake out? Well you can't you can't tour it, that's the main one. But but yeah, like uh it's funny because if COVID would have happened at a different part of my writing recording cycle it wouldn't have really affected me much because i'll go for a year i mean we always play a few shows but i'll go for a year where i don't tour much because i'm deeply in writing mode right but this thing really nailed us because we hadn't put out a record for a couple years and we hadn't done a big canadian tour for a couple years because we're waiting for the new record and you know we had the t-shirts printed and the albums cover done and the new stage banner and the bus rented and everything and we were we were like one week into a five-month tour we were in denver outside of denver and um and uh we got the news we played five shows i think in texas new mexico and then colorado and then and we got the news that the whole tour was over so yeah so it kind of was bad timing and we had we had slated the record agricultural tragic to come out in april i think and then we pushed it to june and then we had a decision to make because it was clear that this covid thing wasn't going to be like a month and a half so right. the wheels are kind of already in motion at that point it was almost impossible for us to just not put it out so whatever and in a way i'm kind of glad we did it sucks on one hand because like you know there's an extra layer of connection when you tour a record and people see it live but at the same time it's kind of funny because this year of covid has been kind of a generational thing like people are going to remember this the way they remember world war Two or the cuban missile crisis or something right so it's a universal thing right. that we are all like everybody's going to remember 2020 right and i've had a number of people tell me that having some new music because it was really helpful for them and so in the in the big picture years from now the record might hold a cool place in people's hearts because of that you know what i mean yeah yeah so and i mean i'm already writing for a new record so it is what it is we'll just Keep going. I mean I'm sure I'm excited to get out there and play some of those tunes live. Um, but by the time we do a full tour, I'll be well into a new record, I think. Probably at least I don't know if it'll be cut yet or out, but it'll be I'm already writing for it, so Yeah. So it's just uh yeah, you just roll with the punches, I guess. Life's and I mean there's to be honest, there's bigger problems than it was it was a big financial hit not doing the tour and, and it sucks putting that much work into a record and having it be kinda weird like that. But yeah. But you know, there's people with bigger problems than me, so
0: uh, where did where did you record it? Where where did it get made? Uh, in Vancouver. Oh, okay. What uh, is is it a place that you had recorded before?
1: Yeah, we recorded our covers record the year before there. It's I can never remember what they call it. They change, There's a bunch of weird names for it. But it, what it is, it's the old um, um, the old uh, rock studio where they did all those rock records in the '80s and '80s, like yeah, Motley, yeah, Motley, Motley Crue and ACDC and David Lee Roth and everybody recorded there and uh, Skid Row, I think, and all those bands. I think it was it was called Little Mountain, I think, at oh, okay. that time. But now it's called Fader Mountain. Or I can't remember what it's called. I should know, but there's two or three sub studios within it with different names, but it's that place anyway. Yeah, yeah. So it was kind of cool. It's like we were recording in the same... Like they showed us the garage where Tommy Lee recorded his drums and <laughs> And where Aerosmith all gathered around the mic to do harmonies. It's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. Is theres there a... Is there, uh... Something like helpful or special about recording in spaces like that that are kind of like
1: uh, like hallowed ground, so to speak? Eh, not for me. I mean, it's kind of cool, but <laughs> yeah. I'd be just, I mean, I. I every recording is different. Like I, we recorded in Memphis at Sun for a few years ago too. That was cool. That's where Elvis and everybody recorded, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they haven't changed it at all. So that was kind of cool too. I mean, it's cool from a historical standpoint, but I don't really buy into the whole... Like, I mean, you make a record in your barn if you want to, right? Especially these days. <laughs> yeah. It's, no more, it's more about the players and and, the, and especially now gear is so available that like it's really about the vibe. Me, I think and it's more about the, and actually there's part of me that doesn't, I don't like nice studios, like with the black leather couches and all that shit. I don't like them. I, <laughs> I like, I like funky kind of dirty places. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you record yourself at home at all or do you? For demo purposes. I'm yeah, not yeah. I'm not accomplished enough to really I don't know my way around the software enough to really do a good job but I can do demos and stuff yeah. Yeah. I can do I mean I can do vocal guitars, acoustic guitar stuff well enough cuz that's just you know, I've got a decent Mikey's press record, right? But right. when it comes to mixing and more important, like I don't, I don't I don't really have a good understanding of using effects either. I li- I'll leave that to the engineers. I know what I like to hear but I don't know enough about you know, dialing in the parameters to really be effective at it. So I've got better things to do with my time. I mean, I'm that's, that's not a judgment. I just mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nobody can do everything. And I've just chosen to not spend, cause you're going to really go down the rabbit hole with that stuff. Right. Yeah. Pretty soon you're got $30,000 worth of mics and every plugin known to man. <laughs> I, I don't, I'd rather just pay somebody yeah. who's good at it to do it.
0: <laughs> uh, so have you managed to kind of then, uh, as we're starting to come out of COVID, uh, have have you been able to uh, like shift into writing mode and kind of start to shift back into gear knowing that this is going to hopefully well, be done soon?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it, shifting into writing gear was more like what happened during COVID. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's a perfect time to be doing that. I'm starting to like, we don't know yet. Like I, I, I don't think the summer is going to be very active and our, our release tour was, was postponed three times and now it's scheduled for Og- uh, October rather. And, I don't know. It, it depends on the week. Like sometimes it seems quite optimistic, and sometimes it doesn't. So I, I it's a little premature to. I mean, it, it seems hopeful with the vaccines and everything, but who knows? I mean, you hear about variants, and who the hell knows? So yeah. I'm I'm just uh, rolling with the punches. I've I've actually quite enjoyed having a year off because and I haven't been off. I've been I've actually been taking guitar lessons from two or three people, people and voice coaching and writing a lot and and um. Uh, digging really deep into to electric tone and stuff like this. so i've i've spent a lot of it's it's almost been like a like a year sub prof, you know what do you call it like professional development sem- uh, sabbat- <laughs> sabbatical <laughs> yeah yeah for me i just didn't want i don't want to come out of it just having sat on my ass and played video games and smoked dope or something like i i'm really i'm I've, I've i've really improved a lot of things about my game so i'm i'm kind of happy about that and written some stuff and yeah, done, yeah. Some re- done some recording and yeah so it's been all right Uh, two,
0: it's probably worth touching on here as we're getting to the end of this, uh, talking about the coal policy, because you've been pretty vocal about
1: that. Yeah, actually, that's taken up a lot of my time, too. Um, Yeah, okay, so in a nutshell, uh, last summer, the provincial government decided to quietly and without any public consultation, get rid of the 1970s era Peter Lougheed government uh, coal policy, which basically prohibited... Uh, most forms of surface coal mining in in a lot of our foothills of the mountains here Um, there's a thing called category two land which under the previous coal policy was super protected from that and in getting into the coal policy they've opened it up for strip mining open pit mining which is going to be devastating for a number of reasons it's coal mining almost always carries with it selenium contamination of the of the groundwater which gets in the rivers and ruins mess (laughs) Fucks mess mess <laughs> gets in the <laughs> water and re- ruins the habitat for the fish. They can't reproduce properly. And it also is toxic to humans and to animals. So that's bad. And, I mean, Category 2, this l- area of land, is the size of Jamaica. It's millions of acres. And it includes the headwaters of the Old Man River and it includes the Red Deer River going through it and North Saskatchewan as well. So it's the drinking water for millions of Albertans. Not to mention just the horrible, you know, aesthetic footprint that strip mining has on on the mountains and a lot of people in Alberta really think of that area as the heart and soul of the province and really identify with it and for some reason this government's decided they want to do this and it doesn't make a lot of sense cuz there's no like there's hardly any money in it like the it's all almost all the leases have been sold to foreign coal companies and the royalty rates are a pittance and there's a few hundred jobs per mine or something which may or may not come to fruition so the whole thing is an economic Disaster plus the fact that we're probably going to lose agricultural jobs from it and tourism jobs because it'll impact those industries. And the big thing is if there's some kind of a water contamination issue or reclamation issue, that's going to cost way more money than we'll ever see from it. And then, coal companies, if you look at what they've done in West Virginia and Wyoming and Kentucky, they just make a huge mess and they're known for you know going bankrupt or restructuring or just going home and leaving leaving the locals with the mess and I don't know. I just I'm not a big political crusader and I don't care about political parties. I don't like any of them frankly for different yeah. reasons. But this thing is just so big. It's it's honestly the biggest threat to Alberta that I've seen in my lifetime, I think in my opinion. So it's it was I was approached by some ranching families that raise cattle in the foothills who are going to be directly affected by this and the more I looked into it, the more catastrophic it seemed. So I felt it was important to get active about it, and I was I was ready for some pushback. I thought it might kind of be a 50-50 thing, but it's been really more like ninety-seven-three. Like it's, it seems like a pretty universal message that people from all political stripes, you know, conservative people and left-wing people, and urban people and rural people and First Nations people who will be affected, have all come out really vocally and said they don't want this. And the government's done some stuff for window dressing. Like they've said they've gonna re- they're gonna reinstate the coal policy and they they're gonna have a public consultation. But based on their actions, I'm pretty sure what they're gonna do is just use those things as sort of a dog and pony show while they go ahead with their plans to let the coal mines go ahead anyway. So we're still fighting it. It's a long battle though, they got deep pockets. Yeah. Has
0: has uh doing the kind of research that you've done into that and kind of uh submersing yourself in that world has that uh like impacted y- your music impacted the kinds of things that you're writing about or the kind of emotions that are coming out in in the songs um
1: not yet but it may it usually take so while for that stuff to percolate in and i don't yeah. really i don't often deliberately sit down and say hey i'm gonna write a song about whatever i just right. get i just get random thoughts day in day out and i write them down and then i make songs out of them so nearly everything that i dedicate brain real estate to eventually comes out in the songs, whether it's carpentry or cowboy stuff or whatever. So I'm sure it'll come out. I, I wrote a song 10 or 12 years ago called This Is My Prairie about this exact issue, and it's it's almost like prophetic because it's, it's almost word for word exactly what's going on right now. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'll see if I can get Katie Lang to cut that with me or something. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because, yeah, I, I don't know. It's... Doing the research on it has been interesting. I, I like, I'm not I'm not a super left uh, anti-resource guy because it's it's tough because I don't think people understand these issues because like people scream about oil and gas and I you know if we could get off oil and gas I would be all for it tomorrow morning but everybody's iPhone is made out of plastic that comes from petroleum and everybody's yeah. food gets to market on diesel trucks and is grown with diesel burning tractors and fertilized with, with petroleum products and, and all the, everything that we do, all of our vehicles and airplanes we ride on and, and buildings that are heated, we're slowly changing, but a ton of that stuff still comes from petroleum. So it's like, it's, yeah. pre- it's pretty hard for, with eight, eight, with eight billion people on the planet, anything we do at scale is going to have an impact. So the thing is you got to pick and choose a little bit. So there's a ton of stuff wrong with everything we do, like making running shoes has a cost to the environment and raising our food has a cost to the environment and riding on airplanes has a cost to the environment. But if you look at it on a scale, you know, you can't do everything. So in my opinion, coal mines in the foothills around our water sources on on the scale of imminent doom – is yeah. right over redlining compared to a lot of the other <laughs> issues. Everything we do with seven or eight billion people is going to have a cost and you gotta, we're going to have to make some major changes or the world's going to be screwed. Maybe it's already screwed. But in terms of stuff that's right in our face that's going to screw the place up right now, it, for me, it's coal mines in the foothills.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, too, I, I think it's it's a good point. To note, there like it's it's really easy, particularly with the internet, to take like a hard ideological position one way or the other. Which is ironic and because the
1: internet is run on petroleum, same as everything else. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and two, it's
0: it's just that taking those kinds of positions, whether you're on the right or on the left, aren't useful. Like every issue has a lot of nuance. Right? we well, gotta have a and solution. Like a you got going on.
1: You gotta have a solution, right? Like. And the the tricky part about this coal business is there's two kinds of coal I've learned. There's thermal coal, which is burned for electricity or for power. And then there's metallurgical coal, which is a higher grade that burns hotter, which they use to make steel. And it's still like the world is largely going off of thermal coal for energy, but they're still using coal to make metal. So you can't really make the argument that, oh, that's an outmoded technology as as easily as you could for thermal coal. But the 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 point is for me is that even if it's something that we still need, there are places where you shouldn't do it. Like no matter what right. how badly we need it. And and the foothills of the Rockies are right at the top of my list for places where we shouldn't be messing around like that. And there's there are new technologies developing. Some of the Scandinavian countries are starting to make steel with with hydrogen, which is a very new technology and there's a lot of questions about it. But they're still making progress on that front like every technology so it would be a shame 15 years from now for everyone to have adopted the new technology and coal metallurgical coal being left behind and, and and we didn't save the rockies for that decade and we've lost them forever and it's a big mess and the water's contaminated right it's just the whole thing is a stupid idea and the government's been really, again, I don't care about parties. I, I would say this no matter who's doing it. But this, this group of, of elected officials that's dealing with this right now has been really misleading and deliberately duplicitous about it from the start. Starting with, starting with rescinding the existing coal policy really quietly without any public consultation. And every step of the way, they've tried to fool us, right? And it's just pissing, pissing me off. Nobody wants it. Like the the population doesn't want it, right? That's the point. And they're just pushing it through anyway. And I don't know if it's because they somebody's getting paid or or they just refuse to apologize or lose faith. I don't know what if it's an ego thing. I don't know what it is. But people don't want it, and they're doing it anyway. It's going to get them unelected if they're not careful. They're losing. the The big thing is they're losing. They're losing votes in their own base. Like they don't. Right. They don't care about the lefties already, because the left left wing people already hate. The UCP and the UCP doesn't care, but right. there's been a lot of rural people who are upset about this. You know, farmers, ranchers, hunters, fishermen. So they're 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 really um, uh, hurting themselves across the across the spectrum. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting. Sorry, I tripped, yeah. interrupted you. Sorry. Oh, no worries. <laughs> I was, I was I, ra- I, ranting.
0: I think too. Just uh, worth mentioning. I know. Uh, you know. Obviously, you're playing country music, and a lot of the demographic for that is. Farmers, ranchers, like working class folks, um, and and boy, I think it was just uh, really good to see somebody who has uh some ability to communicate, like to communicate with that kind of base, uh, talking about why this is a really shitty idea. So uh, I appreciate that. It was <laughs> uh, it was nice to see somebody doing that.
1: Thanks. Yeah, no, I think it was worth doing. You know, people have the wrong idea about rural people too, right? Like, you know, for sure, I hear a lot of stuff. Like, I, I'm i in, in an interesting position because my audience is across the spectrum. And I grew up in the rural setting and I live in an urban setting and I spent my life in the arts. So, I have a somewhat of a pretty good understanding of both ways of life. And, yeah. you know, like, there's certainly stereotypes about the urban people that rural people have, right? And everyone knows about them, right? You know, all those city folk. But I got to say, city folk have a have a lot of mis have a lot of incorrect assumptions about rural people too, like especially Absolutely, especially yeah. ranchers, like some of them are super progressive about when it comes to conservation, like re- especially like families that have owned ranches for decades or generations rather, they're very, very tuned into ecology and conservation and actually are more informed about the realities of it and actually the, the practical application of conservation concepts than some of the city people I've talked to who are supposed to be experts. So yeah, so yeah, it's not as cut and dried as people think. A lot of a lot of rural people are are quite intelligent and quite forward thinking about some issues.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, let's uh, let's kind of I guess start to wrap things up. Uh, <laughs> am is, I, am, is I there... ra- am
1: I ranting yet?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's all good. Uh, is there a track that you would want to play from uh, Agricultural Tragic?
1: Yeah, let's play. Um... Let's play Old Man. That's a good one. It's about. It's about your grandpas being able to do everything better than you can, or your gra- your gra- <laughs> your grandmas too, for that matter. Yeah, yeah. That do was you, that was a have, that was a capable generation.
0: Did Did you have really close relationships with that generation in your family? Like, were yeah. you really close to your grandparents? I was. Yeah,
1: I learned a lot of a lot of stuff from my grandpas and my grandmas. Both my grandmothers were, I I credit them with. Uh, both my grandmothers were were country school teachers. Like right out of a book. Like they both married cowboys. They both married ranchers, and they're both very proper, sort of English school teachers, right? And yeah, uh, yeah. so they had me reading at a really young age and doing phonics and all kinds of stuff. So I, I don't know if I have any facility with language, it might be because of them. <laughs> and I learned how to <laughs> how to saddle horses, stuff like that, from my grandpas and my dad. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I did have a real strong connection with that generation.
0: Well, uh, perfect. We're gonna then. Uh wrap things up uh this is old man by corb lund off of uh, agricultural tragic
1: can i say too i, I sort oh, of men- yeah. i mentioned this a little bit but i'm a big fan of gmcc i would i would encourage anybody who's interested in music as a young person to, to go take the program it's great
0: oh yeah too as somebody who is uh finishing up a degree in about two weeks uh it's a it's a good program you learn a lot of things you about do
1: music i kind of i kind of want to go back like anonymously you know just (laughs) take two years and just really dig into the my dig into my shit a little more but i don't know if that's that's doable i'm probably too busy but
0: hey man i'm sure uh uh, i mean mccune would be happy to have you swing (laughs) by i'm sure uh actually just again last little closing note i uh uh, I was talking to Jamie Phillip cause mm-hmm. I'm taking guitar lessons from him yep. this year. And I had mentioned that I was going to talk to you and he was like, Oh yeah, I remember teaching core.
1: Yeah. He's great. <laughs> yeah.
0: Jamie's uh, a, a real gem. He's uh, i always forget there's some people there like him who have taught there for 37, 38 years. Yeah. Yeah. Tell him hi for me. I will absolutely do that. Yeah. Great school. Well, uh, yeah, again, thanks so much for sitting down to do this. It was a real pleasure chatting. Okay, man, take care of yourself. Thanks.
2: and fence, riding bulls and drinking beer But well, give me some young buckaroos, kinda wet behind the ears Cause I'll take fire in the belly, and it feels a little green old boys do I want some scrappy kid to have my back in the middle of a quarrel i she- the old boys.
0: Inside the Artist Studio is produced by Sean Davis-Newton for the Cups and Cakes Network. The featured track, Old Men, was played with permission from Corb Lund. Thanks to Laundry Week for the use of their song, Nothing on My Mind, from the Grimpy EP as our intro and outro music. Inside the Artist Studio is one of the many ways the Cups and Cakes Network highlights Canadian music. Visit our website, cupsandcakespod.com, to browse our audio, video, and written content. That's CUPS, the letter N, CakesPod.com. Thanks for listening.